0: Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend, but on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know, if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around, because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey there, friends, welcome to episode 25. I am so excited to have you here with us today. I wanna say a humongous thank you to everyone who has gone on to support the show either on Anchor or on Buy Me A Coffee in the last couple of weeks. I mentioned here a few weeks ago how uncomfortable it makes me to ask for support, but you guys have been so great and so kind. We are so thankful for everyone who has gone over there and contributed. It really, really does mean the world to us. If you still haven't done that and you were wanting to, you can follow the link in the show notes to Anchor where you can sign up to be a monthly contributor or you can go to buy me a coffee and you can just make a one-time gift for as much or as little as you'd like. We appreciate every cent every dollar. It really does mean the world. Today on the show, I am bringing back a guest that we had such great feedback about a few weeks ago. Brother Marcel Fulton from the Pentecostals of Alexandria 7 ministry. We spoke to him about addiction and recovery, and I heard such great feedback from you guys about that episode. We had him back on the show because I wanted to talk to him specifically about the 12 steps. I mentioned in that first episode, I had always been taught that the 12 steps were not compatible with an apostolic lifestyle. But Brother Fulton blew my mind in that first conversation by telling me that the 12 steps are all based on biblical principles and that the reason that 12 step programs for addiction and recovery work universally across the globe, whether a person believes in God and the Bible or not, is because of those biblical principles and the truth that God's word does not return when I say that blew my mind you guys I am NOT even kidding so I asked him to come back we started talking through the 12 steps you should know every one of these steps is something that could be taught on for multiple sessions. So we only brush the surface of many of them. Some of them we only touch on very briefly, but I hope this gives you an idea of how powerful and how impactful these 12 steps can be when we're talking about addiction and recovery. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as you enjoyed the first one. Let's get to it. Here is my conversation on the 12 steps with Marcel Fulton. Brother Marcel Fulton, welcome back to Good Question,
1: Sister Tandra. Thank you so much for even asking me back. You know, people like us that that suffered with addiction back when we were out there, it is very seldom that we are asked back anywhere a second time. <laughs> so it's an absolute privilege to be asked back. <laughs> I mean, just I just got to say this. You know, from the from the last podcast that that you put out, the response to that has been. Phenomenal. People have reached out that were already in churches and they were wondering, we need to do something to help people that struggle with addictions uh, of all kinds. I've heard all kinds this past just this past couple of days. And we really wanted to. We had a burden to. But we didn't really know how to get started. And people from I'm talking from coast to coast have reached out due to your last podcast and has asked for information on 7 Recovery and what are we doing down here. And it's just been a, a tremendous blessing for me to be able to try to assist these people and point them in the right direction.
0: Well, that is it's such an encouragement and such a blessing to me to hear that. I knew from... Well, actually, I think my husband knew when he reached out to you the first time just to connect with you about scheduling us. He came back and told me and he was like, this is going to be a good one. And mm-hmm. when we had a, our first conversation, I mean, I told you the last time I, I was so energized at the end of that conversation. I knew it was going to have an impact. I'm excited to hear that it's having an impact. Yes. For any of our listeners that haven't heard that first episode, uh, it'll be uh, two episodes back in your feed. Jump back and listen to that. I know it's going to answer a lot of your questions and bless you tremendously, especially if you are someone who has struggled or suffered with addiction, someone in your family has, or if you just have a burden to reach your community, it's going to make a big impact. And today we're going to talk some more about it because there was just so much information and I had so many more things that I wanted to know when we finished that first conversation. And so I wanted to have you back to talk about them. The first thing that I want to ask you, because when I listened back to our conversation, I couldn't believe that I didn't ask you the first time this. (laughs) Okay. Your ministry at Pentecostals of Alexandria is called seven. Correct. What does that signify? What does that number seven mean?
1: Well, of course, seven, of course, is God's perfect number. You ever watch something on TV or a movie or something? They put a disclaimer up. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, normally when I talk, especially when I'm talking in a church setting, I like to put out my disclaimer, and it goes something like this. The opinions of Marcel do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the United Pentecostal Church International, the Pentecostal of Alexandria, Seven Ministry, and now I will add Jessica Tandra and a Good Question podcast. So that way I've covered everybody. Nobody can get in trouble, and all the blame will fall on me if I say something that raises some eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) but seven of course when sister mickey was was reaching for a name and praying for a name you know the bible is full of sevens Uh and of course the being god's perfect number it is a time of of, of completion uh uh, it goes all the way back to creation i mean old testament feasts were seven days in length. Deuteronomy in 28 says, The Lord shall cause thy enemies to rise up against thee, to be smitten before thy face, and shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Psalms 119, Proverbs 24, Matthew 15. I mean, you can go on and on and on of uh, the significance of seven. And that is the name that the Lord gave to this ministry.
0: Oh, well, that's really cool. I like that. I just couldn't believe that I forgot to ask you that the last time. <laughs>
1: well,
0: <that's... laughs> So thank you for sharing that. Certainly. The, the one thing that I was just super intrigued by the last time that we spoke was your explanation of how the 12 steps all come out of the word of God. And so what I would really like for us to do is mm-hmm. if you would just take me through each of them, what do they say and what do they mean and how do they tie back Into the word, because I was so impacted by your statement. I think at the end of the last conversation, you said that the 12 steps work universally, whether a person is a believer or not. Right. Because the word does not return void. And correct. when you said it the first time, when I just said it now. The hair on my arm stands up because that's so powerful. It's so powerful to think that God's word works, whether we believe it or not. That's how true it is. That's how powerful it is. So walk us through it. Just start at the beginning. Tell us what we need to know.
1: Sure. Well, for your listeners that are familiar with, let's say, Celebrate Recovery, because I know we referenced Celebrate Recovery in some mm-hmm. things before, they used the term principles. And uh, I use the term steps. That's the same thing. There is no difference between. So that way, if anybody is familiar with that, they won't be confused. Mm -hmm. Okay. Celebrate Recovery just combines a couple of the steps. That's all. So I I do want to clarify that because there are a lot of listeners and a lot of people out there that are familiar with Celebrate Recovery. Mm -hmm. But the steps, the best way I can explain it there's 12 of them, and I'm going to read through them real briefly so we can get an overview, and then I'll back up to them. Uh-huh. But the 12 steps is we admitted we were powerless over. Now, for alcoholics, it's just alcohol. For drug addicts, it's drugs. For compulsive overeaters, it's food. For gamblers, it's gambling or pornography. or. There's so many things that you can fill in the blank where it says alcohol or drugs that our lives have become unmanageable. And if you really want to boil this down to its simplest form where it fits everybody, how about if I said it like this, we admitted we were powerless over sin
2: Mm.
1: and that our lives had become unmanageable. And, you know, out of Romans, it says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to the Beatitudes and Almost universally, everybody knows the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. But if we go to the very first one, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And so, I know I said I was going to read all twelve, but sometimes I get kind of just excited when I <laughs> when I go through this. Hmm. But let's think about that because everybody knows the Beatitudes are important. Everybody, everybody, but nobody knows how to do them. Hmm. Because nobody likes blessed of the poor in spirit. That just doesn't sound very appealing. Yeah. To be poor in spirit. So what exactly does being poor in spirit mean? Well, it means I admitted I am powerless over whatever that my life is unmanageable. That when I when that enters into me, see, it doesn't say accept. It says we admit, and these words are not written haphazardly admit let's say if you were to go to the theater if you went to a a singing and they hand you a ticket at the door what does it say on that ticket admit one Mm -hmm. admit to let you in you must let that in not just in your mind that's got to enter into your heart that's what it means to admit i admit there's a lot of people that know they got problems i drink too much i do whatever too much i I got this sin I just can't get over. They know it in their mind, but have they admitted it? And once you admit it and realize there is absolutely nothing more, there's nothing more that I can do. God is the only answer. Is it that moment that I become poor in spirit? Hmm. What does the word say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thy will not mine be done. You know, the, the Lord's prayer says. And so, that's that's kind of I know you asked, you know, how does this all apply and tie back to scripture? That's how step one does. Mm. We admitted we were powerless over whatever it is, sin. Just put sin in there if you want, that our lives have become unmanageable. Me trying to manage my own life, this is not under the influence of any mind altering substance. Me trying to manage my own life always ends up in disaster when I'm trying to do it without God. Yeah. Always. So that's why it says that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, step two says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, we, we know that power is Jesus Christ. If we wanted to read it like came to believe that Jesus Christ could restore us to sanity. Well, the problem with that is twofold. Most people don't believe they're insane. Mm. And uh, I know you've heard uh, the definition People say, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Uh-huh. So let's say you're struggling with a certain sin, and you, but it's still there and it's still present and it's still over and over and over and over. And you're struggling with it and you're expecting different results. Well, take that, what I just said, and apply that definition of insanity. And so what are we going to do about that?
2: Uh-huh.
1: Now, the problem comes with pain to believe. A lot of us believe, but you would be surprised that I've had the opportunity or the blessing to be able to work with a lot of church people in recovery. And you would think that, oh my goodness, they absolutely believe. And of course they do. They absolutely believe in Jesus Christ. But what I run into a lot is they believe that Jesus Christ performs miracles. They believe that Jesus Christ heals. They believe that Jesus Christ Does all these things, they're just skeptical about him doing it for them. Yeah. Jesus heals other people. I'm not so sure if he's going to heal me. Mm -hmm. You'd be shocked at the amount of times I run into that with church people.
0: Yeah, that all ties back into an episode that we did on shame and Mm -hmm. how we can get wrapped up in shame. And so it makes us think that it works for everybody else, but not for me.
1: Hey, there you go. And I, I see that in the rooms of recovery. You know, oh, yeah, God, God God, will deliver you. And so that's why those words came to believe. Are you willing to believe that Jesus can deliver you? Uh-huh. Not, the, not the person next to you, but are you even willing to believe that? Because that can throw up a mental block. And so that's why it's worded like that. And, you know, in Philippians, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then you have step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And it says, as we under." him. And again, a lot of times when I read these steps, there's certain verbiage in here that that ruffles feathers. Okay, what do you mean as we understood him? What does that mean? We all understand God as Jesus Christ. Well, that's true, but everybody is at a different level. When I say the word Jesus, if I say it to a hundred people, those hundred people got a different mental vision in their mind of Jesus Christ, and everybody is a different walk with the Lord. Uh-huh. So the understanding of a brand new convert of Jesus is different from the pastor or the person that's been in church for five generations. Their understanding of God is different. Uh-huh. Yes, it's the same God, but their understanding of God is different. That's why scripture talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word.
2: Uh-huh.
1: The the ones that are on the milk don't understand the meat. They don't have they don't have a good understanding of that. Does that
0: make sense?
1: Yeah, 100%. So we're making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. And, you know, in Romans again, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if I can just take a few minutes here, seconds on this step, because this is. These three steps is where everything hangs on Mm. this. The first one, step one, I can't teach you how to do that. That Step one has to happen to you. Mm. It has to happen to you. And I cannot bring that about. I can't. Only thing I can do is share my experience and hopefully you understand, you know what? Yeah, I am powerless.
0: So is that the place where we hear about people talking about hitting rock bottom? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, But see, that, that elusive rock bottom that you say, and everybody hears, I hear that all the time. I was on a phone call this afternoon with a, with a mother of a son, and she said those things. I just don't know what it's going to take for him to hit rock bottom. And I'll say this, it, it, it could be controversial, but I believe it to be true, that if you notice, rock bottom is not all the things that we lose. A lot of people equate rock bottom with, you know, losing family, losing jobs, losing this, losing that. And how much more are they going to have to go down to hit rock bottom? Now, that may be the case in some instances. You, some people may have to lose a lot of things. But why is it then that we have people in the rooms of recovery that have lost everything and those that are still uh, business owners and multimillionaires? Uh-huh. What is what happened to both of them that caused them to seek the Lord? Well, it can't be everything that we lose. It can't be the money and the job and the because these people still have everything. Yeah. Well, what caused them to seek the Lord? And the best way I can answer that is when we lose self reliance and reliance on things human. That is when step one happens to us. That is when step one happened to me. And the thing about that is we give up on everybody around us. But the last thing to let go is self-reliance. I am going to find a way to beat this thing. You've given up on the doctors. You've given up on the therapists. You've given up on the pastors. You've given up on everything human being around you, but deep down inside, you're saying, I am going to find a way to do this. And it is at that moment when that goes and you look up and you go, Lord, I don't have any more ideas. Do Mm -hmm. with me as you will. That is when step one happens. Mm -hmm. And that's for anything, for anything. And so we're making a decision to turn our will and our life over to God. Well, we need to define what will and life are. You know, we're getting ready to turn something over to God. We, we need to make sure we know what, what, what it is. Mm. And so the way it was explained to me, because I was, I struggled at this step, believe it or not, because I, I knew I got to turn everything, everything. And so I was going through the day questioning everything I did. God, is this your will? Is that your will? Is it your will for me to do this? Is it your will for me to do that? And, and you know, we should be doing that. But I was getting all confused.
2: Mm.
1: And, and be truthful with you, I wasn't getting a whole lot of answers. I mean, but I was taking it to another degree. You know, is it your will for me to redecorate this room? Is it your will? For-? I mean, it was, I was taking it to a whole <laughs> different degree.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I was, Then the reason was I, was, I was, I did not want to go back to where I came from.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and I was willing to do whatever it took. And, you know, we talked on the last one about sponsors or accountability partners he set me down and he gave me some information that to me was a, a pivotal point and that's why i want to share it, is he set me down and he told me the definition of will in and life and he said marcel before somebody passes away they write down everything and where they want everything to go and they call that a what i said that's a will he said yeah that's their thoughts of where they want their belongings to go when they're no longer with us. That's their thought. And he said, now, if I was going to write a book about your life, I could not write one word about what you were thinking. The only thing I could write about is the actions that I saw you take.
2: Mm.
1: And then he said, so your will is your thoughts and your life is your actions. I said, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Now I have a definition of what I'm ha- getting ready to turn over to God, my thoughts and my absence. And then he asked me to look outside of a window and start naming things. And I started naming, you know, trees, and buildings, and driveways, grass and clouds. And he asked me some very simple questions. He said, who made the trees and the grass and the clouds? Was it man or was it God? I said, God did. He said, now, who made the building and the cars and the sidewalk? Was it man? Was it God? And for some reason, I wanted to get all philosophical and say, "Well, you know, man did," but really, God gave him the. And he told me to be quiet. I'm over. You're overthinking. He wasn't that polite. I'm being that polite right now, but he was not that polite. And uh, I said, "Man did." He said, "Do you see anything else outside this window other than man or made by man or made by God?" I said, and I stared for a long time because I'm thinking, "What does he see that I don't see?" And I finally came to the conclusion, no. He said, that means there's only two wills in this world, man's will and God's will. And he told me to look at the rest of these steps. He said, I want you to ask yourself a very simple question. Is that what you want to do? Uh And I got to tell you, Jessica, on these next steps that we're going to talk about, steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the answer was no. Something rose up deep down inside of me. When it said, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Something re- reared up inside of me and said, no, no, don't you tell, don't you write all that stuff down about yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And where it said, admitted to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of my wrong. You know, I didn't have a problem with admitting to God, to myself, but I did not want to admit to another human being. Mm-hmm. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, step six. I didn't even know what defects of character were. Hmm. And the truth of the matter is, and I, I say it when nobody else will, I really wasn't too sure if I trusted God to reach down in me and take something out that I might need later. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know what he's going to take. I don't even know what they are. And I'm going to ask him to just reach down in me and take something out. Yeah, I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah, Humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings. Well, I'd be honest, I didn't like the word humbly either, because to me, humbly equated groveling, which is nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is full of we're supposed to have humility. And so, eight made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Amends, you mean not just I'm sorry, but to right the wrong, to make it right? And then step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And, you know, my answer to those steps was, no, I I really don't want to do that. Yeah, it's intimidating. It is intimidating. It is. But you know what he pointed out? That thing that you have rising up inside you telling you no is your will. That's your will. Now, wait a minute now. You've just made it. You're making it, getting ready to make a decision to turn your will in life over to God. So if something's rising up inside of you saying, no, you don't want to do that, then the doing of the opposite of that would be God's will. Now that only applies to what we're talking about here. Don't don't take that to mean everything in life, okay? Uh So if I push through that feeling of fear that's rising up in me and take this biblical step, I have in a fact turned my will Over to God's will, because it's God's will for me to do this step. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that, you know, maybe it's just me. That was a complete turning point in my recovery, because these steps are not for the faint-hearted. That's why it's so difficult to get people to do it. (laughs) That's why nobody wants, even church people don't want to do it. (laughs) They don't want to do it. Yeah. It goes against our will. It goes against our flesh to take these biblical steps. But, you know, that's why the rest of the Beatitudes talk about blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, Look, this is a painful process, and I'm going to mourn when I go through it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This causes me to be meek, to be humble, to go through this process. It causes me to do it. Mm -hmm. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What at any of these steps that I have just mentioned, goes against what I just read out of Matthew. Nothing. No. Nothing. But if I want to be blessed, as it tells me in Matthew 5, 1 through 7, that I I need to do these steps. And so for some, I will say this, for some it comes simpler. You know, some people can do it. Most of us don't want to do it. We'd rather endure the pain that we're in rather than do this. And then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because as bad as the pain that we're in is, is sometimes it's more comfortable than thinking about trying to change it.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's our comfort zone.
0: Trying to go through all the steps that will take, that'll change. Yep.
1: You know, and then we can, we can go into, you know, step 10 says continue to take personal inventory. And when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. You know, I'm going through the day, I'm continually monitoring and see inventory. I'm kind of roughly going through this, but you see those steps, step four, uh, when I'm doing working with somebody on this, or if I'm teaching a lesson on the inventory in seven, I spend an hour, sometimes two lessons, just going over the inventory process, just going over the inventory process.
2: And
0: you Uh, said step four was taking the inventory of yourself.
1: Yes. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. A moral inventory of ourselves. Yeah. If you, if you got a minute, I'll, I will kind of cover just a little bit of that briefly. Yeah. You know, the main thing when I'm doing this inventory and it, it's, it, it boils down to some certain things. First off, God gave each and every one of us instincts. He gave us a social instinct, a security instinct, and a sex instinct, and he gave us ambitions. That's what separates us from everything else. That's what separates us from the animals. That's, they, those are God-given instincts. That's why we marry. That's why we have communities. This is why we have jobs. Without these instincts, we wouldn't want to work. We wouldn't care if we had a roof over our head. We wouldn't care if we procreated. That's why these are God-given instincts, okay? Now, we can either fulfill them Properly by the word of God, or we can fill them improperly by our will. But being as their God-given instincts, they're going to get fulfilled. Uh They're going to. Now, most of us have spent too much time trying to uh, fulfill these instincts improperly. So that's why we should go with the word of God. And that's our our test. That's uh, how how we uh, should fulfill these. But the key is they're going to get fulfilled. Hmm. And so the the killer things for people that suffer with addiction, and I would say any any problem, falls into just three or four categories. The first one is resentments is the biggest problem. And we talked about the root of bitterness last one. Mm -hmm. But you see resentment, anything that irritates me or gets me mad, that that is a killer for people that suffer with addiction. Resentments. And uh, that leads more people back out to drink or drug than anything else. Resentments, bitterness, and it is absolutely deadly for the person that if you know anybody that suffers with addiction, this holds to be true across the board. If you know anyone that suffers with addiction or if you've heard of anybody, they will blame everybody around them for their problems but they huh. never blame themselves ever. It's always everybody else's fault. It's my, you know, my spouse's fault, the children's fault, my boss's fault, my pastor's fault. It's everybody else's fault. Huh. And so that's why we need to make a list of these resentments. We make a list of our resentments. You just write them down. I'm resentful at them or her, him, or the church or the IRS. It, it makes no difference. <laughs> you write everything down that, Aggravates you. Mm. And you do this in a specific way. It's not just haphazard. You make a list. That's top to bottom. You don't write across the page because we normally, our brain is focused to write and start writing to the right and right. No. When you go to the grocery store and you make a grocery list, you write top, you might eggs, milk, bread, cheese, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't go eggs for a cake, milk for, no, you don't, no, you just make a list (laughs) top to bottom. Okay. And then once you finish with that, you've asked the Lord to reveal to you everything. Everything, Lord, help me reveal to me everything that angers me or bothers me, or you know, resentment is just refeeling. It's, uh, it's just you know a memory or something that brings up, and you feel the pain over again, or you feel the anger over again. Anything that's doing that to you, you write that down. And then you, when you're finished writing, you go to the second column and you write. The cause. I am resentful at person A because they did this to me. And then you fill out the list again. And then you go into what part of me was affected? Which instinct was stepped on? Was it my social instinct? Was it my self esteem? My personal relationship? Was it my security instinct? Was somebody after my money? Or did somebody, do I have to be spoken to a certain way for me to feel okay about myself? That's emotional security? Was it my sex instinct? Were you threatening my, my sex partner, my wife? Did I, again, it doesn't have to be real. Did I feel that you were? That's the Mm. key. And my ambition, see, not only do I want to have a social life today, uh, security, I want to, you know, have my bills paid today. I want to have a roof over my head today. You know, do I want to have proper sex relationship today, but I want to ensure the future is taken mm-hmm. care of. Those are my ambition. Did it affect any of that? Was that the reason I got angry? And then the last column is what part of me was at fault? Was I being selfish or dishonest or self-seeking or frightened or inconsiderate? And it causes me to look within myself because when I don't put this down in writing in my brain, and I think I'm no different from any, I think everybody's brain, the, the ego's job is to protect itself. And if you ever notice, if if somebody's complaining about something or what somebody did to them, the more they retell that story, the less you hear about what they did. And mm-hmm. it's all, it, it goes down to, you know, it's like that little game you played in school or maybe you didn't. I know we did where the teacher had you whisper something in somebody's ear and see how it changes. As it goes uh-huh. around the room to the last person. Well, we do that to ourselves <laughs>
2: yeah. in our
1: thinking. And the more we think about it, the more, is that, you see what I'm saying? Yep. And that's why I need to sit down and I need to look at this. And the next problem that we have is fears. And I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but, you know, what am I fearful of? Same thing. Make a list top to bottom. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter if it's a fear of heights or it's a, it's a fear of backsliding, a fear of going to jail, a fear of drinking or drugging. It doesn't matter what it is. Put it down. What am I afraid of? Afraid of dying? Uh, I, I've, I've seen it all. Do the same thing. Why do I have this fear? And then you go through the same process. And what fear is going to, what, what what this inventory is going to show us is that the reason I'm fearful is because I'm relying on self. Mm. That's all fear is self-reliant. All fear is self-reliance. And it is not God-reliance. That's, you know, it, tell, it told me in the instructions to take these steps. We ask ourselves why we had this fear. I've been leaning too heavily on the handrail of reason, and I haven't been leaning on God. Mm-hmm. That's just that quickly. And then the one we nobody wants to do a review of my sex conduct.
2: Mm.
1: Who did I harm and what did I do? And I go through the same process. And then I fill out another one harms other than sexual. Who have I harmed in my life? It could have been with words, it could have been with actions, it could have been any number of things. And I need to sit that down and I need to look at all these things. And now you know why nobody wants to do this. <laughs> nobody
2: no nobody
1: wants no nobody wants to do this. What what does scripture say? Huh? Let us examine our ways and test them and then return to the Lord. Well, this is how I examine my way. Yeah. This is how I exam- I'm truly examining my ways when I do this. I'm not just kind of running them through my mind where you know, my part becomes less over time, and and their part becomes greater. Or I justify my actions or my behavior. This truly teaches me to examine my ways and test them, and then return to the Lord.
0: This is just like I'm just marveling again that the idea has crept into the church that these things are somehow not uh, in line with the Word. This is intense. It is. Intense repentance. Bingo. You got
1: it. Praise the Lord.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is like a whole other level from I come down to the altar and I cry and feel sorry for the quote unquote bad things I've done. Yes. This is going through and like laying it all out.
1: It it is.
0: And really examining it. And yes, no wonder nobody wants to do it.
1: There you go. I mean, it it, it goes against our flesh. Mm. Everything in me, everything in my flesh rises up and go, especially when you're writing down different things and you're going, you know, you're going to have to go over this with another human being. Mm. And I'm here to tell you, and if you if you've ever been through this or you're thinking about going through it, I am telling you from my own experience, the thought Came to me on multiple things when I was writing this down is oh no, don't you do not want those people to know this about you.
2: Mm.
1: And there was a a certain amount of fear that crept up. And again, we just talked about fear and self-reliance. That's that's me trying to rely on self. But you know, if if you were like me and alcohol beat me to a point where I didn't care what you knew. I did not care. I can't do this anymore. I am willing to do whatever it takes to get well.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You know, I remember when I went to the altar to repent, and I had already been through this inventory, and I went down there, and I wanted to receive the Holy Ghost, and I, was, I went to that altar. Now, when I threw my hands up, and I understand you don't, you don't have to do this, okay? <laughs> I threw my hands up, And I verbally started repenting. And I promise you, I verbalized every sin I had ever. I know the people that had their hands on my head had me at arm's length going, oh, my goodness. What this (laughs) man is confessing to. (laughs) But but I didn't care. I didn't care. I wanted I wanted God more than I wanted anything, anything. And I think that's a point we have to get to.
2: Yeah,
1: hmm. so I agree. I'm so glad you got it because this is—you said it. This is repentance. Yeah, it is repentance.
0: And that—and that's not to say that if we haven't gone through this whole process, that we've never fully repented. But no. and that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover the repentance that we that we participated in or offered to Him. It's just not at all. It. This just is again. It's just more confirmation that these recovery programs are not only a safe place for you to go, but they're a beneficial place for you to go.
1: Yes, absolutely a beneficial place. I think I told you, I didn't tell you during uh, last time, but I know afterwards I, I talked to you. You know, the thing about recovery is we have had people come into seven that would have never set foot in an apostolic church. They wouldn't have set foot in an apostolic church. They have came into seven For recovery, they have felt the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. We have baptized hundreds of people through seven that, you know, came in that way and ended up in church. Mm. It's it's just once they feel the power of God, once they experience what you and I, I, I hate to say, maybe sometimes take for granted. I hope I never do, but I know I do sometimes. Yeah. Once they experience that, that that they they got to come back, they they got to come back, and so it's a, it's a tremendous tool. Recovery is a tremendous evangelistic tool. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the next step, step eleven, says, "Sought through prayer and meditation to improve my contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out." That's a powerful prayer. You know, that's my my Bible reading, my. My, you know, going by the prayer room, uh, that's my taking quiet time in the morning, getting on my knees in the evening. Can I, I want to read something to you very briefly out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's going to take just a couple of minutes, but I want you to hear hear what it's saying. It says, When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Mm -hmm. Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others? Of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. You know, so that's my prayer at night. Along, along, And I add my other prayers for, for people and situations, but that's what I, how I do a nightly review. And now yeah. the next one says, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance for, after all, God gave us brains to use. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers will come after we have tried this for a while. Huh. So, you know, and it goes on. It tells me, you know, we usually conclude this period of meditation with a prayer that we'd be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we'd be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. It's telling me if I belong to a, a denomination which requires a morning devotion, attend to that also, you know, as we go through the day. We pause when agitated or doubtful, asking for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. (sighs) We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We don't tire so easily, or we're not burning up energy foolishly as we did. When we're trying to arrange life to suit ourselves, it works. It really does. But I love these next words. We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. But that's not all. There's action and more action. Faith without works is dead. Now, somebody got to explain to me how you can get not biblical out of that.
0: I, you know what it does? It convicts me. It convicts me of ever thinking that somehow, as an apostolic, I had anything together over someone who was coming through a recovery program. If that thought ever crossed my mind to look down on somebody who had made the decision to go seek out the help that they could get through recovery, that I would look down on them and say, oh, well, you don't need that. You just, you know, you need this Holy Ghost that I have. I'm sorry, but who. No, I mean, like I should have been doing this the whole time. Should, I, those
1: instructions should've, I should have been doing my life.
0: We should all be doing it <laughs> like this should be a just a basic like intro to Christianity class that <laughs> like, we should all go into. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about how how much time, how much dedication and courage that it takes to do these things and to commit to, to doing that every day. Multiple times a day, and like you said in the last podcast, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. yes, that's what it means to seek the will of God in, in everything that we're doing. I mean,
1: I have found no better instruction, but I, really and truly, it, it, you know what? It taught me a practical application of God's word in my life. See, a lot, I heard a lot of applications, but they were lofty and hard to do. Mm-hmm. This taught me a practical And if it's not practical, let's face it, most of us aren't going to do it or keep up with it. It taught me a practical application of God's word in my life.
0: Yes, I think, you know, I love apostolic preaching and I don't mean in any way to disparage it at all. But I think we're so heavy on the analogies. And we can find, you know, a, a catchy analogy for any, mm-hmm. any biblical principle. And sometimes yeah. those are great. And Jesus taught in parables, and that helps us to understand things. But sometimes it just makes things more confusing. Yes. I need these steps. Okay, so what does that mean? What, how do I do that?
1: How do I do that?
0: Because if I'm just trying to chase some idea that I don't know how to do it, I'm just going to get frustrated, and I'm just going to think that it doesn't work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we'll we, we'll, we will stop doing it. If we will. We will stop doing it if, if it seems too difficult to do. Now, that doesn't mean, look, this is very difficult to do.
0: Yes.
1: It, it is. But at least it's broken down into words that I can understand and apply. Yes. People get frustrated when they don't quite catch what you're trying to say. Yes. You know, I ran into, it, and I think we may have talked about this, or I've talked. I know I've talked about it with with uh, churches that I've dealt with. You know, when I read through some of the steps, we use the term God as I understood Him, and we talked about that in the very beginning, and talking about a conception of God. You've heard that, and that's why a lot of apostolics, a lot of church people get turned off because they've they've heard that. You know, you can use a conception of God, and I I don't think we ever answered the question, and it's my fault that you did ask me the question. What happened? in the other rooms, uh, and I don't think I fully answered that, but I'd like to if you got a second, Yeah, is, you know, secularism has crept in to those rooms. You know, it used to be when you went all the way back, and again, I talked a little bit about the history, in the beginning of, of recovery was God was the answer, period. There was no no uh, if, answer, buts about it. And then when somebody talked about a conception of God, i said, you know, Jesus taught in conceptions of God. You know, when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he talked about the creator because that's what they knew. When he was talking to the people at the Sea of Galilee, he talked about being a fisherman. When he was talking to the shepherds out in the fields, he related to the good shepherd. Now, those were all their conceptions of God that he taught with. You you know, when you said he taught in parables, he did, and he used conceptions. Now, they were different gods, but he taught in a conception that they could understand.
0: Yes, even when he spoke about God as the father.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's not making up another God. Now, what happened was, is, and you know, the recovery came, you know, got big. Re- recovery became big business. Mm. The government got involved. And then they all of a sudden they threw in the separation of church and state. And it, all the verbiage had to be changed. And that's where everything got garbled, watered down and and infiltrated. Gotcha. That's where all that came from, because, you know, if you're going to a and there's a lot of them, if you're going, if if the government's going to pay for you to have treatment, then you got to follow some. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. That's and that's where a lot of that came from.
0: That's so interesting. Well, I'm just thrilled that we're that we're changing the conversation, that we're letting people hear this, and that it's making a difference. And like you said, people are reaching out to you to find yes. out more information to figure out how to get these programs into our churches. Because I, I'm I'm sitting here thinking I need to go find myself one. I've <laughs> never I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life, but I think I need to go find <laughs> uh, some some place where I can sit and listen to this teaching. And apply it because I mean it applies. It
1: applies to all of us. Yes, and you know we we just had a wonderful lady come over uh, from a treatment center over in Texas uh, to talk with us this past weekend, dealing with compulsive overeating. That's another thing that's not talked about in the church. Eh? And uh, you know she was talking to us because we we do deal with that, and <clears throat> that's another hurt habit or hang up. It's actually another addiction. Uh, when you're talking about, and it, it was just fascinating. Spent three days with this lady who has recovered. She she has got a tremendous testimony. She had recovered from alcoholism, adult child of an alcoholic, and an obsessive compulsive eating disorder. Hmm. Just unbelievable testimony. But the information that she, she was giving us to be able to help with others in our, in our addiction ministry was dealing with that. It's widespread. It's more than drugs. It's more than alcohol. It's so, so much more.
0: Yes. Yes. And I I love the phrase that you use, the the habits and the hangups. Uh, we've yes. all got them.
1: Oh, we and, all do. No
0: matter what we want to try to portray to other people or even to ourselves, we, that we've all got mm-hmm. them. So. Yes, indeed. <sighs> I appreciate you so much coming back to talk about this. I just, I just, I'm so excited about what God's doing with it. And I'm thrilled to learn about it. You've got me intrigued and I want to learn more. And like I told you, you, you've got people reaching out to you. I've had people reaching out to me saying that it's a confirmation of something God was already saying to them that they need to be yes. working in this this field. And so thank you again for coming on again. I I want to meet you in person someday and shake your hand. And I hope we well, get a chance would be, to that that would do that be sometime I soon. hope we do.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I hope so. <sighs>
0: All right.
1: It's been a privilege. And it's been an honor. It really and truly has. And uh, I got to thank my pastor, Pastor Anthony and Sister Mickey and, and the, the staff, the pastoral staff at the POA for just trusting me and allowing me to be on something like this with you that is far reaching. And uh, I am so blessed to go to the church that I go to and just uh, God has blessed me beyond measure to be able to reach out and to help people.
0: Well, I'm so thankful that, that Sister Megan acted on the the calling and the burden that God placed on her heart because it's, it's reaching out. Yes. As always, He goes above and beyond what we can ask or think or imagine, so. Oh, yes. I'm excited to have a little small part in getting the word out.
1: Oh, yes. Thank you. God is using you mightily in this.
0: You guys, I could start a whole new podcast just talking about 12 Steps Addiction and Recovery with Brother Fulton. He is so fun to talk to, so encouraging. I loved having him back on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as you enjoyed the first one. I hope you'll share it with someone. I was so encouraged to hear the stories of people who have reached out to Brother Fulton about starting 12 Step Ministries in their churches. Knowing that conversations we have on this podcast are making a real world impact on people that can impact their families for generations to come, that makes me so excited. If you wanna continue to support us in those kinds of endeavors, I hope you'll go check out the links in the show notes for Anchor and for Buy Me A Coffee. We appreciate everything that you give so that we can continue having these conversations that are impacting people in their actual lives. I hope that you'll share this episode with someone. I hope you'll talk about it on social media. Come and find us. I'm on Instagram at goodquestionshow or Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can find us over on Facebook. Search Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. You can find Brother Marcel there on Facebook as well. We hope that you will reach out and let us know how these episodes have impacted you. If you'd like to email us, you can also email us at Show at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who knew that Brother Marcel was going to be an excellent guest from the first minute he spoke to him is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Joshua Walzik. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another Good Question. See y'all then.